Reading from Malachi chapter 3 from verse 6 to 12. I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. It's uh, great to uh, great to see you all. And uh, just before I begin, can I just say what a joy it is to uh, share leading a service with your, my own son. It's a, uh, a joy that I never knew would happen, but it's uh, a great and, and wonderful thing. You know, my friends, I, I think we've all had, um, had periods in life when we felt incredibly close to the Lord. Those are times when we feel so spiritually alive. Our faith is strong. Our love is deep. Our hope is bright. We have such peace in our hearts. We're just filled with rejoicing. Prayer comes to us easily. Obedience is natural. We just delight to be part of God's church. We can't help but tell other people about Jesus. We want to serve him every single day. Nothing is ever too much. It's in those days that, as Jesus says in Matthew 16, that we truly take up our cross and follow him. Or as Paul says in Romans chapter 12, it's in those days that we truly offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. But there are other seasons when we feel like the Lord is incredibly distant. Those are the times when we feel spiritually dry and and destitute. We fill up with doubts and with fears and anxieties. Our hearts grow cold. We feel no joy. Prayer seems to be empty. The Bible meaningless. We have little desire to serve God. We just start going through the motions, feeling little concern for the lost nor any love for the church. And we drift into selfishness and into sin. And at times like this, we often feel as though something has changed about God. We begin to question him, wondering if his attitude toward us is now somehow different. If he still cares about us, if he still loves us. 
And I'm sure that all of us have been through times like these, through deep, dry valleys of discontent and despair. And in fact, that may even be your experience right now. Perhaps your spiritual temperature is at an all-time low. You're experiencing spiritual drought. But if you know what that's like, my friends, well, well, then I've got some good news for you this morning. Because Malachi has an important message that will help us in times like these. You see, in Malachi's day, the people of Israel were convinced that their God was far, far away. As we've seen over past weeks, they thought that he didn't love them. He thought, they thought that it was a waste of time worshipping him. They thought that he didn't look after them and that he only ever blessed the wicked. The people of Israel felt that the Lord was distant and that he himself was to blame. For they had concluded that the reason for this distance was because he must have changed. They were supposed to be his special covenant people. He was supposed to be their utterly faithful God. But they thought he must have broken the covenant, gone back on his promises, turned away and rejected them. They thought that he was no longer a God of loyalty and compassion and love. But as our passage opens in Malachi 3 verse 6, God tells them how exceedingly wrong they are. For he declares to them in no uncertain terms, I, the Lord, do not change. The Lord God Almighty is righteous and he is perfect in every way. And so he simply cannot change. For if he changed for the worse, then he'd no longer be perfect. And if he changed for the better, then he wasn't perfect to begin with. And so he never makes promises and then goes back on them. He never says things that he doesn't mean or does things that are out of line with his own character. He is never erratic or fickle or capricious. He always has been and always will be an utterly faithful God who is full of grace and mercy and love. In theology, we say that our God is immutable, that he does not, cannot, and will not change. And it's a good thing too. For as he adds in verse 6, he says, So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. The very reason why they continued on as a nation, a sinful and rebellious nation, was because of his constant love toward them. If he had a change of heart and then just started treating them as they deserved, well then that would be the end. But my friends, our God is unchangeable. And that is why still today we can continue to know his love and his grace and his forgiveness. We can still rely on his promises 100%. And as a result, we can have certain hope of our salvation in Jesus Christ and absolute assurance of his constant provision in our lives. And so, friends, if God feels distant to you, if you're in the spiritual pits, then don't ever think that he is the one to blame. Don't ever think that he's the one who has turned away 
and changed his attitude and stopped caring. For the Lord and his mercy are always the same. As it says in James chapter 1, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Or there's Hebrews chapter 13. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. But of course that leaves an obvious question. If God does not change and yet he seems so distant and far off, then what's the real reason? And the obvious reason is that it is us. We're the ones who change. We're the ones who are unfaithful, unreliable, and foolishly put distance between ourselves and the Lord. Listen to what he says to Israel in verse 7. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? God didn't change, but Israel did. Over and over they turned away from the Lord and his will for their lives. Over and over they, they pushed him aside and ran to the gods and the idols of the world. And so they needed to come back so that they could experience his blessing and his nearness once again. But yet they didn't know how to do it. They didn't know how to return. And maybe you wrestle with the same question. I once felt so close to God, but, but now I feel so far away. My faith once burned so hot, but now it's cooled. It's as cold as ice. So how can I possibly resolve this? Surely I just have to accept things as they are. Surely I just have to hope that things might somehow improve. Surely it's beyond my control. Like Israel, we can ask, how are we to return to God? Well, in verse 8, the Lord responds in a surprising way. Will a mere mortal rob God, he says, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? The reason they were in this mess is because they were robbing the Lord. To rob someone is to take what's rightfully theirs. It's an act of selfishness and greed and disrespect. But, I, but how can we as, as weak humans rob the Almighty? Well, that was their question. And my friends, as always in the book of Malachi, God provides them with a very clear answer. And he does so by pointing to a very pertinent example. He says to them in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. So what's that all about? Well, in the Old Testament, God, who had given his people everything they had, he expected them to bring him a tithe. And a tithe is basically a tenth. The people were commanded to return the first 10% of their income. Whether rich or poor, in good times or bad, they were to set aside the first tenth of everything they got 
for the Lord. That's why this verse speaks about the storehouse. You see, there was a place at the temple where the tithes were kept. People brought 10% of their animals and their livestock, their crops and their harvest, of whatever they produced. And these goods, they were then used for three different things. First of all, they were used to bring sacrifices to God and thus to enable the temple to operate and its worship to continue. Second, they were used to support and to feed the Levites, those priests who served in that temple. And thirdly, they were used to help the poor and the needy, to provide compassionate aid when times were tough. And so tithing had a very practical purpose, but yet at the very same time it demonstrated obedience to God's law, worship of God's name and gratitude for God's deliverance. But even more than that, tithing was also an amazing expression of trust. For in times of hardship, you need everything you've got just to survive. And so to give away the first, and in fact the best 10%, before using any of it for yourself, requires enormous trust that the Lord will provide. But the problem was that the people didn't trust the Lord. And as a result, they didn't obey his law or worship his name or show gratitude for his deliverance. For the whole nation, we're told, refused to bring in the tithe. They were going through hard times and so they thought that they would be better off keeping it for themselves. And thus there was no food in the house, in the temple of the Lord. This is why God declared that they were robbing him. They selfishly took what was his and failed to give what was due. But as a result, they didn't experience his blessing. And instead, we're told they were under his curse. And that was why they had found themselves in a spiritual desert, far, far away from God. So what do you think this means for us here today? Is it still possible for us as Christians sitting here at Riverbank Christian Church to be robbing the Lord our God? Could it be that you and I could be taking what is rightfully his and selfishly keeping it for ourselves? Well, we should begin with this example of tithing. And so the question is, does this law still apply to us today? Does God still expect that before we do anything else with our pay, our pension, our profit, that we should take out a full 10% and hand it over to him? Well, of course, the answer to that is no. I mean, you show me even one passage in the New Testament where God expects the same of us today as he did back then. That'd be crazy. No, my friends, in the new covenant, God never expects the same as what he did before. No, in the new covenant, he always expects much, much more. After all, we've received so much more from him. The people of Israel only saw the shadows, but we have seen the reality. We have experienced the vast riches of God's grace in Jesus Christ. We have the full revelation that he gave in the Bible. 
and His Holy Spirit dwelling within us. We know about the cross and about life everlasting. We have an intimate relationship with God like never before. And so how could we possibly limit our devotion to just what was applied in the Old Testament? Oh, my friends, everything we have is from the Lord. And so while 10% may be a good start, it's not the limit. Think of 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. Or 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And 2 Corinthians chapter 9, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so we need to ask ourselves this morning, are we giving back to the Lord in a way that is fitting for people who have been given so much? Our primary giving should be to our own local church. For, just as was the case with the temple, we need to enable this church to operate and its worship to continue. We need to support those who serve the church in paid ministry. And we need to help the poor and needy, both within our own congregation and beyond. But that's only the start. We should be using God's money to, to minister in our own lives, helping a neighbour, buying a Bible for a workmate, feeding a homeless person. And we should be using God's money to support missionaries and, and ministries of every kind all over the world, whether through our weekly offerings or through the causes we directly support. Ah, oh, my friends, there is no lack of opportunity to serve God with our wealth. Our brother Bert has just reminded us of one this morning. But the question is, are we doing it? For you see, my friends, our wallet and our bank statement, they reflect the condition of our heart. So are we giving in keeping with our income? Giving in rich generosity, like the Macedonians did? Giving not reluctantly, but cheerfully? For if we aren't, well, then we too could be robbing God. But you know, there's many other ways to rob him as well. For he hasn't only blessed us with finances, has he? But with so much more. And so, for example, he's given us time. Time which we can use as we please. 
So how do we divide it between him and our own pleasures? How much do we really spend on prayer and devotions? How many hours do we give to church, to growth group, to caring for others? When we have a free hour or a free day or a free week, do we consider how we could use it for the Lord? And what about our gifts and our talents? Every single one of us, God has told us, has been blessed with abilities that we are able to use for God's kingdom. But do we? Could you be teaching Sunday school? Helping at carols? Joining the music team? Could you write encouraging emails? Or visit the elderly? Could you use your mechanical skills to fix cars of needy people? Or your accounting skills to help those who have financial problems? Could you join Snagchat? Or high school mentoring or a team, the team up at Regis? Could you start a new growth group? Or be a growth partner for someone who needs spiritual support? Could you talk to a neighbour about Jesus? Or demonstrate his love by cooking a meal, mowing a lawn, making a phone call? And there's so much more. How can we use our homes, our cars, our caravans, our shacks? How can we use our hobbies, our holidays, our retirement? How can we use our energy, our opportunities and our capabilities for the Lord? My friends, please don't forget what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. The Lord not only made us, but he redeemed us at the cost of his own son's life. And so we are his, along with everything we are and everything that we have. So are we truly giving our, our very best for him? Or do we selfishly hold back, keeping it all for ourselves? My friends, is it possible that we too are robbing the Lord? For if we are, then we shouldn't be surprised if he seems distant from us. We shouldn't be surprised if we find ourselves in a spiritual desert. But if that's where you're at, then the answer is simple. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, says the Lord. Stop robbing him and start giving of yourself generously and sacrificially. Give him your best in every part of life. And do you know what will happen? Well, listen to the rest of our passage. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Do you see what's going on here? Israel thought that by keeping the tithe for themselves, that they'd be better off. But they weren't. 
for they were under God's curse. And we might think that by keeping everything we have for ourselves, that we'll be better off too. But we would be very, very wrong, my friends, because that's not how things work in God's economy. The Lord reveals that it's only as we generously give of our money and our time and our talents and of our, and of our very selves that we will finally discover just how blessed we actually can be. He says, test him in this. Stop holding back. Give it a go and see what happens. And aren't these just the most amazing words? He will throw open the floodgates of heaven and he will pour out so much blessing that there won't be room enough to store it. So what might that look like? Well, I guess it could be physical and material blessing. I certainly know in my life that whenever I've put the Lord first, that I've never suffered as a result. He's always cared for us amazingly in both the, the good times and in the very hard times. But my friends, in this age that we are living in, we'd expect that when God opens heaven's floodgates, that he will pour out far greater blessings than that. That he will pour out spiritual blessings that are better by far. For when we give our best for the Lord, then we can be certain that he will increase our faith and strengthen our trust. He will mature us in holiness and obedience and commitment. He will open our minds to better know him and his will for our lives. He will open our hearts to experience a deeper peace and joy and contentment. We will feel more confident in his daily care and we will feel more assured of our salvation. My friends, we will be filled with his Holy Spirit and moved to deeper worship and to more meaningful prayer. We will experience more pleasure as we serve and our efforts will flourish all the more. We will see growth in our lives and in our ministries and in our church. And my friends, best of all, best of all, we will feel ourselves returning to the very heart of God and we will again experience his nearness and his love. You know, my friends, there's an old saying, if you feel far away from God, then guess who moved? And this passage reminds us that it's not the Lord, for he never changes. He is always faithful and his grace never fails but if we feel like he is distant and if we feel like we are spiritually dry then then we are the ones who moved away and we can do that by robbing God of what is rightfully his for he is the one who made us and who gave us everything we have and he is the one who saved us at the price of Jesus' blood. And so he calls on us to respond by giving our very best for him and for his church and for his kingdom. So will you keep it all for yourself? Never giving, serving or sacrificing? 
Or will you give God just the minimum, just to keep up appearances, but knowing that you really could do so much more? Or, my friends, will you bring the whole tithe, giving your utmost for your Saviour? Will you truly take up your cross and follow Jesus? Will you truly offer your body as a living sacrifice for the Lord? Isn't it time for us to test God's promise and to experience the floodgates of heaven being opened and his blessings poured out? Isn't it time for us to live by faith, truly giving our all? My friends, isn't it time for us to again draw near to the Lord? Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, we want to ask you to please work in the hearts of every single one of us who are here today. Father, we pray, please help us to comprehend just how great and amazing your love and your grace toward us truly is. Lord, help us to grasp just how awesome the salvation we have in Jesus is. And Father, we pray, please help us to consider this morning if we are responding to you in faith and in gratitude. May we truly take a look at our own hearts and our own lives and see whether, like Israel, we are in fact robbing you. And if we are, Lord, then we pray, please change us today, that we might give our very best for you. And as we do that, Lord, may we experience, maybe even for the very first time, what it means for you to throw open the floodgates of heaven and to pour out so much blessing that we won't even know what to do with it. Lord, may we experience what it truly means to live close to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.